Welcome to my world. From stage to screen, comedy to politics, decriminalize it. He's cannabis's most famous and fearless celebrity. Now, Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. Please welcome the stoner legend himself, Tommy Chong. Welcome to the Tommy Chong Podcast. Welcome to the Tommy Chong Podcast with my ace, number one ace recording uh, engineer, Paris Chong. Thanks, man. Thank who you. Was, who was sitting there trying to figure out how to turn this thing on. But it looks like we got it on. We're on, right? Yeah, you sound a little crackly. Well. No, you sound all right. I'm okay. Maybe it's my ear. It could be your ear. You got your your uh, hearing aids in right now? Did I tell you what happened? Well, I was there. I, I witnessed it. Tell tell our audience what well, happened. Well, I'll tell you what happened is that I, I got I got these expensive hearing aids uh, for both now, ears. Now, how expensive are they? They're over three grand. You know, that's so fifteen hundred each. Yeah, no, they're they're expensive. You know, for you know, I mean, they got them on the market now. I think for fifty bucks or something, mm. you can get those cheap ones. But mine's, you know. Mine's for the stars, you know, hearing aid for the stars. And and I had to take all sorts of tests because when they tested my right ear, it was so low compared to my left ear that they thought, oh, there might be a tumor. It was nice to hear, because, especially after I just finished <laughs> dealing with a tumor in my butt, you know. And so now, they, now they're telling me, well, you know, probably not, but you never know. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck. Can't, so, so can't what, they just check it out and then tell you like, oh, we, well, we we kind of thought it was a tumor. Thank they, God. They don't act that way. What they do, they scare you into getting all these tests. So I got a CAT scan. Oh, because you could have said, no, I don't want any tests. Just yeah. give me my hearing aid. Yeah. The, you know, the girl that was doing it, which is, by the way, she's very cute, little cutie by name, Sammy. She's Moroccan. And so she was fitting me with a hearing aid. And then she was the one that did the test, you know, mm. the hearing test. And she said, so she sent me to another doctor and I went to, I got a CAT scan. But after I got the CAT scan, I sat there with the doctor at the place and he gave me the results right away. Oh, that's cool. He looked at my brain, he looked at my head, the x-ray in my head, and he said, there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt relieved. And then I thought, What's he talking about? I said, there is a brain there. He but very small, very small. <laughs> and what, what was the hearing damage from? They don't know. They don't know. It's the age. It could be age. It could be the base. It's your left ear, right? No, it's my right ear. It's the weakest. Where do you put your amp? On the right side. <laughs> coincidence. Coincidence. <laughs> Just strictly coincidence. coincidence. Couldn't be your amp, huh? No. <laughs> It's probably that fucking drummer of ours. Because <laughs> who, which one? Anyone. Because you have a habit. I don't want to name names because he'll stalk me and oh, shoot me. Oh, right. Because you have a habit, and I don't know, you, you may have always had this, but whenever you start playing, you got to go and fuck with your amp. Well, everybody does. I not learned, everybody. Not everybody. Come on. I learned that from the black guys. The old black blues players. But like, you've already tested it. You've already set it up. And then you got to... I do it again. Is it like a nervous twit tick or something like that? Or? No. You know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. Too many, you know, when you start recording and playing, you know, like you record a, a song and then you, you know, you go in the studio and you learn it and you learn it, you know, practice it and practice it. And then you get it down and then you record it. And then, then when you're playing it live, the instinct is to play it exactly as you recorded it. And so, what happens to a lot of you know really good musicians? They're lousy when they're entertaining people, because you know in a recording studio the audience doesn't exist, or if they're there we don't notice you don't notice them. But when you're in front of a live audience, your only purpose in front of a live audience, at least it used to be, is to entertain. And so, a lot of times, what it used to be is that you had a tight show. And you didn't, you didn't look away, you didn't turn your back on the audience, you faced the audience, you smiled, and you, you really worked it. You really worked it, and you did every tune, note for note, and it was just like the record, and everybody cheered, and everything was fine. See, that, that is what I like. I don't like it when 
it's like a yelling version of the record. You know, some artists like they they do this live version and they think they need like the more energy or they think they need to add something and it just sucks. Well, you know you know why a lot of it is that way? It's because when you do the recorded version you use studio musicians. Oh, so they're not the ones playing on That's the album. Right. <laughs> That's right. And so well, I and can tell. No, so if, can they just put the studio band behind the curtain oh, and then uh, so boring, <laughs> so boring. You would you would fucking fall asleep. So that's what that's what changes, and that's what I was getting to. Oh. So when you get in front of a live audience, mm-hmm. you have the control. You see, it took me years and years to realize that. You know. Because for uh, the longest time, you know, it was like you only got a short period of time to, to play your music, you know, and then you get, get off the stage. So you didn't have time to, to play with the audience or mess around. Oh, because your set was like, what, three minutes or something like that? Yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, you're on and off anyway, or up and down like a toilet seat. That's what they used to say. <laughs> and so when you become a star, when you become a, a major star, then you can hog that stage and that mic forever. Uh-huh. Like Dave Chappelle. Uh-huh. See, one time when Dave Chappelle was in the comedy store, you know, he, you, you got five minutes to do your shit and get off the uh-huh. stage. Okay, now he's a big star. So he'll stay on that mic for seven <coughs> hours. Yeah. And he has. Yeah. And, and a lot of people have. You know, you develop those kind of chops. Well, and, and so I'm, t- I'm telling you, with me, when I start playing you know when I, when i evolved to where i'm at you know on the stage you know making sure the amp sounds right is very important as opposed to just just letting it go and the trouble is with the way, way we do it is that it's a rented rig and so it doesn't sound right and being deaf and everything else you know i've really got issues with it and that's why you know i'm sort of like phased out of that era mm-hmm. of my my life you know, because I just can't do but it. You, you've been playing with that rented amp for <laughs> for more for longer than you played with your own amp. Just so you know, let's just put that in context. Oh, I never took my own amp. <laughs> okay, so then you never had your own amp. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. So you're out, you're, you're you're always fixing it. You're always getting <laughs> trying to look for that tone. For the but thing. to Dave, back to Dave Chappelle, I prefer the edited written version of Dave Chappelle on Comedy Central. Of course. You know what I mean? That's when you really, you see, you see that there was a team of people that put that show together. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And of course it was, it was his mind. Yeah. But that team sure helps no, a show. No. You're editing. That's what yeah. you're doing. You're editing. You're not just seeing raw footage. That's like when you look at Eddie Murphy's stand-up one-hour special and you look at a lot of these guys. I don't know about Louis C.K., but like I know Chris Rock... Well, they, those guys, don't forget... They those, have a team of writers. But don't forget, those guys were trained on television. So mm-hmm. you didn't... You, every word, every comma, everything, was there was a purpose for it. So, so they so were... So it was well-written. So I guess they work on their own material for a year with their crew, huh? mm-hmm. with their, with their yeah. writers. Yeah. And then the writers help make the adjustments and... Well, they know... Because Paul Mooney was a big writer for a lot of guys. For Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, Eddie mm-hmm. Murphy... And Chris Rock and David Chappelle. I think, I think yeah. they all hired him. Yeah, of course. He had a very hip sense of humor and it's a, a hip way of looking at everything. Yeah. He was the one, yeah. The a res- unique perspective. A very hip. Even from, a, from the same community. Yeah, well, you look at, look at Richard Pryor until he met the Paul Moonies of the world, he was like, he was just copying other, you yeah. know, uh, copying Bill Cosby. Oh, that's when he was doing so much uh, all the, on the uh, yeah. uh, TV work. Right? Yeah, TV he, he, in Vegas and, you know. He it was, was like pre, pre-Brother Man Richard Pryor, right? Because yeah. there was a point, I saw that documentary that he really, he switched. Yeah. You know, he was like, I'm not doing that shit yeah. anymore. Yeah. I want to be real. Yeah. You know, and and then, he, then he called Paul Mooney and, and those guys in, and, and that's how you get your yeah. show. Which is pretty amazing because even that could have killed a lot of careers, but he was so good and so loved that he just began his, his movie career. Well, you see a lot of comics. It's the accidents. It's where the mic fucks up or something happens, and they've dropped their written set. And they go into their ad libs, and mm-hmm. their ad libs are way more insightful, way better, way funnier because mm-hmm. it's coming right 
out of the the vacuum, you know, right out of the yeah. ether and into their voice and, and out into the audience. And so you're witnessing a birth of, of genius. Right. That's what you're witnessing. Oh, I see how important a design of a club is for that because you want the energy and the laughter from the audience, mm-hmm. but you don't want the distraction of the audience. So you have a dark, dark club Mm -hmm. and then this this reverberating laughter coming at you Mm -hmm. in different sounds, shock, you know, disgust, laughter, and then that spotlight is just blinding you. So you, it's almost like shining a light deep inside your mind, in your soul. soul. That's right. And then that's that perfect mixture of what you need for a a comedy club to really do some brilliant work. So it it gets a little different. I guess on stage... It looks different because it's on camera and you see more lighting, but in reality, from the stage, you don't see the audience really. Or you see, you might see a little bit, huh? You see what you can see. Like at, a, at, a, at those bigger theaters. Yeah. But the nightclubs, I guess you see them too, huh? Well, the, 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 see, the experience of the comedian, when they walk out there, oh yeah, they see everything. Because they've done it so many times. They look for the weirdos. You know, right. they look for the Or they may have a bit, the right? Couple, that, they've got it all ready to go. <laughs> and, you know, they got their heckler line all ready to go. And it's and it's not that you remember it, it's just that you've done it and it's body memory. Yeah. And so if someone throws a line at you, you just automatically answer them or not answer them. Right. Like, like Jack Benny, you know, this old television comedian had done comedy all his life he had a bit with it. he was a violinist uh-huh. and he used to fake like he was going to play a violin and then he would do comedy right and it was a, a bit you know and he could play a little bit but he would play so bad that people would you know he, he would joke about people would pay him not to play you know that's yeah. where he made most of his money yeah. but anyway he had such control of the audience and they knew his persona so well that he made a pause famous Mm-hmm. Like one of the greatest skits, this guy held him up. He said, your money or your life? And then there was this long pause. And then the guy said, well, and Jack says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> classic, classic <laughs> move. It was classic. And he had a black guy, a driver named Rochester. Mm-hmm. And Rochester was from that old black sambo kind of you know humor. Where everybody like blackface yeah, kind of yeah, stuff? Like. Yeah, blackface without blackface. It was real he was actually black, but but it was yes, Mr. Benny kind of played on the black stereotypes of the well, time. Totally, totally. So it was very racist. To- yes, Mr. Benny. No, Mr. Benny. Yeah, Mr. Benny. Yeah, your car's ready, Mr. Benny. It was that servant kind of trip. Oh, and oh, I know now you couldn't do it. I don't know how how I feel about that. You couldn't do it now, but that's the way the humor was back then. Mm-hmm. And then they had a, a, a black. Uh, they weren't oh, black. But that's what. That's the great America that Donald Trump's talking about. That's the great America, Donald <laughs> Trump. Yeah, you know, in the old days, <laughs> the old Donald Trump would have a Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. He said it on his show yeah. that he's got a, had a black assistant for twenty years, and she's black. Yeah. Therefore, he's not racist. <laughs> You know, (laughs) talking about comedy, it's something that if you've done it so many times that you've honed your skills. And so you can make laughter come out of nowhere. What's the best heckler comeback you've ever heard or seen or witnessed? Oh, God. (laughs) What was it? Oh, there's a bunch of them. What What was his name? You'd be you'd be crazy to to start talking shit in Sam Kinison's oh. audience, huh? Oh, Kinison, Kinison was. <laughs> I'd be scared because he he looks he gets a little scary when he's on oh, the mic. He was oh, Kinison. You notice though that he there's no nostalgia for Kinison, you know, because he was uh, among comics there are. Yeah, because he did shit that no one else would ever do. Right, Kinison would go on at two in the morning, and the place would be packed to see him. Mm-hmm. This is after every comic worked, and, they, and Mitzi wouldn't put him on until two in the morning. You know, you, what could go wrong? Right. And everybody learned that Kennison's going on at two in the morning, so everybody would wait till two in the morning, and then go and pack the club uh-huh. and laugh until you you had tears come down your eyes because he was just so ridiculous. Anybody here had had a broken heart? Oh, come on up here. Do you have her number? Yeah. Okay, let's phone her up. <laughs> no way. Yeah. You bitch, you cunt, you whore. 
he broke his, this man's heart now. I hope you fucking die, you know. Oh, fuck. No way. <laughs> when, when AIDS when AIDS first came out, oh. Kennison's bit was, hey, thanks a lot. Now I now I'm to go use the bathroom. I opened the door with my foot. <laughs> That's nasty. Nasty. <laughs> and then he apologized, of course, but oh my God, he was funny. I mean, he was comic funny. I mean, comics would come like me, you know, I'd sit there and just kill myself with him because he just, there was no stopping him. I heard a good quote the other day. Who said it? It said something about, oh yeah, yeah, some of the people that we work with, with Cannabis Club TV, you know, because they're like talking, oh yeah, you're really funny. And one of them's thinking about doing, you know, open mic and he's like, yeah, well, Jeff Foxworthy says that, you know, everyone's comedy everyone's funny or a lot of people are really funny mm-hmm. but what turns them into a comic is, is that the comic wrote it down for, <laughs> for later or remembered it do you know what I mean yeah well I, see with me I, I had music if you want to learn the tune like I'm trying to learn the commercial but I see you writing comic you write it down oh yeah yeah but, you, you yeah, work bits but out. let me tell you how I do it you know that commercial that comes on TV I've been a poor man I've been a king you know that song uh-uh. it's a blues song anyway it's a commercial now I'm trying to learn it and I can only learn a few phrases so but that that's what you do you like if you're a really quick learner it doesn't work but if you're a slow learner like me uh-huh. You go over the thing so many times that you st- you hear the little nuances in the thing, you know, with music. Now, with comedy, it was easy right. because you remember it or you write it down. You write down the, the you know the key words that yeah. you need to do it. But but it's it's like situations that are funny. Yeah. That's why with Cheech, you know, when Cheech was telling us all about his uh, getting sick at the Wailing Wall. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've taken that now. I, I made a bit out of it, yeah. you know, because Cheech's bit was that he got sick and then he left the wailing wall and he threw up in the on the cap. Yeah. Well, see, my bit's going to be he got sick and he threw up on the wailing wall. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Jews will be going oh, up against the wall and Cheech is going, <laughs> That wailing wall is a lot of joke. There's a lot of jokes with that. Huh? Yeah. That's what I love about the, you know, the Jewish people because that's why there's so many Jewish comedians. But Teach has a tendency to tell a good story, especially to you and yeah. I. You know, he kind of well, we knows, appreciate it, and he knows we'll get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess, I guess, yeah, because there's certain audiences that that I know that that'll get my story, and it, and it encourages me to tell it even. Funnier yeah. than it, than it actually was. But you yeah. need an audience. See, you know what I've been noticing? Like, I can't tell mom funny shit. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, she'll get distracted and be like, you need a haircut. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to tell oh, you. She'll fall asleep. <laughs> she'll leave. She'll walk in the way in the middle of a sentence. Okay, we got to take a break. I think mom's at the door. We better shut up. Okay, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Northwest Alternative Health, Eugene's premier medical marijuana clinic, is proud to sponsor the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Are you prepared for the changes in the recreational and medical marijuana markets? The OMB presents the state's top industry experts, along with over 40 exhibitors, and features a keynote by Dr. Carl Hart. Also, tickets include a celebrity interview and private after-party with the one and only Tommy Chong. Join us Sunday, April 24th at the downtown Eugene Hilton and be a part of Oregon's fastest-growing industry. Check out OregonMBC.com for more details. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill 
you can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com The Tommy Chung Podcast is back. Only on CannabisRadio.com Okay, we back. Oh, I, I got a question. Okay. How long was it until you really felt like a good groove as a stand-up? Well, when we started in, in, in Canada, you know, the first laugh. I, I remember the first oh, laugh. Oh, no, 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 stand-up. But, but I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, when you get your first laugh. With the crew. It's like uh, what city works. It's like the best sex, best whatever in the world. It's the best release, endorphins. Everything just goes crazy. Mm-hmm. You made a whole crowd of people laugh. That's your reward. And then after that, I never. Cheech and I both we used to call ourselves a group because we played music so long all our lives, you know. And, and we we're always used to being in a group. And so, what's the name of your band? Cheech and Chong. And and we never really called ourselves comedians until, I guess... You cut a comedy album? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And won a Grammy for it? Yeah. Yeah, we we cut a record. Even then. Even then. Even now. But we all, we know about the success of Cheech and Chong, but I'm interested in learning, like, when, how long did it take till you felt, like, comfortable as a stand-up? Because well, that was later on. That was like in your 40s, right? Like, but, Well, you never rest on your laurels because you're always looking at the next gig and where you're playing. But there was a first gig. And then remember the guy said, he says, lose the, lose the sport coat. Oh, oh, when I went on my own. That's what I'm talking about. That was the night Rodney King got his ass whipped. And, and that's I, when you had a good night. After. It was the night after. And so I had to get on stage and talk about the Rodney King beating. And so what I did, I I went on and I talked about, you notice, you know, you can just see the mums watching that thing and say, and being so proud that their boy's on TV. (laughs) You see the one that was beating him? That's my boy. That was my boy. He he needs to eat more. He he lost a lot of weight. You know, he's been dieting too much. You know, so I so I did that bit. Uh And then halfway through the bit, someone in the audience goes, hey, where's Cheech? Uh And that kind of stopped. That that momentum, right? And then I hooked up with uh, Paul Reiser. So did you who get had a, Paul Reiser yeah. had a manager named Arthur? Yeah. Well, Arthur was the one that he was going to manage me. Right. So Arthur, first thing he looked at me, he said, "Lose the sports coat. Uh-huh. You know, go back to the jeans and the headband and yeah. the chong look." And I did. And then I told Arthur, I, "You know, I don't want to. I'm not." ready to headline you know so i just want a gig where i go do my 10 minutes yeah but the first thing he did you know arthur you know like they don't listen to you especially new comics you know they just say okay we got your gig you know because i'm cheech and chong well they can't you can't no i you can't no you 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 have to headline yeah yeah there's no working your way up no that was my stupidity you know i had no idea so so my first gig all of a sudden i find myself headlining not yeah. only headlining, but I'm in the paper. I'm, I'm on the <laughs> calendar section. So you got to find those th- th- 40 minutes. Or th- oh, my God. And I got 10 minutes. That's <sighs> it. And that's stretching it. And so I ended up in a broom closet writing in between shows. Now, now Dad, because I went and saw one of the shows, and then it was like a third of the show was about me. Really? Yeah, and that was at Buzz. It was that comedy club right in Santa Monica. On like Pico <laughs> or Wilshire, and what, 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 what are it they was it about? was about how when I got busted with all my friends and we got put in jail, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and they found beer on us, and then, and then you got us out of jail, and then 
you split a beer with me on the way home or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I embellished a little bit. Well, that's what you do. You know, whatever, whatever's handy is, is yeah. your show. Yeah. You know, that's why a lot of times, like, and I learned that from Richard Pryor. Because yeah. I, I watched Richard Pryor after he had his accident, when he burned himself. Then he started doing what I wanted to do, like a little comedy club. And nobody, it, they had a club here called the Bitter End West. There was a Bitter End in New York, mm -hmm. and then they opened a Bitter End West here. And so, of course, Richard opened it. And the club was, you know, maybe three quarters, you know, yeah. maybe a quarter full. And no one was in there. They let anybody in, you know. So I sat there for three nights and watched him. Mm. And a lot of his show was written on the, in the car on the way down to the gig. Yeah. You know, a lot of it. A lot sure. of the show. And and he see, he said it, you know. And I watched him how he how he did a bit and then he would change a little bit and he would do, add a little more, take away some stuff and then right. and then they did it. And now it, it it's second nature to me now. Yeah. So whatever I hear and that's that's my big problem when I do interviews. But you used to do a little bit of stand up because when I see old footage of you guys in between bits, oh, yeah. you would kind of set the next bit up. Oh, yeah. So yeah. You, you actually <laughs> did some time oh, yeah. as a stand-up comic. Well, you had to. Well, I, that's right from the City Works time when we yeah. were the improv group. Because yeah. there was not, we were the guy. We were the yeah, MC. Yeah, we yeah, were everything. Keep it, keep it moving. And yeah. Okay. We're going to take an intermission right now. In fact, we're going to be gone for a half hour. We're going to write the next show. So you want to hang around? Hang around. <laughs> you know. Thanks for your. Thanks for all your suggestions. Here's the funny thing. We'd ask suggestion from the audience. Uh -huh. Hey, do one about killing cops. Hey, do one. You know, do one about gangsters. You know, it's all gangsters. Yeah, do one about bikers. And then we come out, and there'd be a different audience. Uh, and we'd we spent spent a whole half hour writing shows. You'd actually do it. Oh yeah. Oh shit. Oh yeah. We'd sit and write them. Yeah, with the with the crew. So it was like improv class. Huh? Oh yeah. We sit there. Okay, what can we do here? And what we did, we we borrowed a lot from the Playboy magazine joke department. Uh huh. You know, like we'd read that, and, and then we and then oh. do do a live version of it. Then we do a live version. Oh, of cool. It. Like Maureen, one of the the more bustier kind of dancers, and she was the funniest redhead. Uh -huh. She's beautiful. I'm kind of Susan Sheridan kind of uh -huh. looking, you know, with the body and everything. And she, and she would dress, one bit she'd dress like a little girl and be trick-or-treating. Uh -huh. <laughs> and Dave, my partner, he would answer the door and she'd say, trick-or-treat. And, and Dave would say, oh, look at you. Oh, you're dressed real pretty. And here's a nice apple for you. And she'd go, hey, you broke my fucking cookie. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bit. That was just an excuse to get her out there. <laughs> but we had we had uh, so, oh, so much fun. Hey, uh, how how many shows did it take for you to not get tripped up by the Hey, where's Cheech? Because I'm sure that happened a few more times. Well, like I say, we had a improv club, and so it was for bikers. no, no. Your stand-up. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. But see, so we had bikers. We had entertain. We wouldn't entertain them. We would torture them. Uh -huh. See, it was the best gym in the world to start off with, right? Because they didn't want to see naked chicks. You know, yeah. hey Elvis. Yeah, that was their big heckler line. Hey Elvis. <laughs> no matter, it was a mime artist up there. Hey Elvis. <laughs> hey, look at Elvis up there. And so, and so we, we were used to that kind of crowd. You uh -huh. see. It was when we got to the comedy people, where everybody's quiet and polite and everything. Else. Right. And then, uh, you know, so you kind of you kind of missed the heckler. The, you kind of missed the. Yeah, we just grooved on everything. You yeah. know, people when people shut up and let you talk, you know, you can do your show. But you said that it tripped you up a little bit that that first night when the guy. Oh, it it stopped the show. Yeah, I mean that was it. After after he did that, I was on a kind of a mini roll, you know, uh -huh. by myself. You yeah. know, confidence was going, trying to go on, you know. And Rodney King, it was like, you know, you know, hey, about mom, you know. And then I was like, hey, where's Cheech? And it was like, uh, oh yeah, where's Cheech? And then right away, Cheech, uh, he got deported. You know. <laughs> oh good, you know, good. you know, right away, I got good. Yeah, yeah. Good. you got an answer for that? Oh fuck yeah. <laughs> In, in a minute, you know. <laughs> Excuses, because that's really yeah. what comedy is. Comedy is what you tell your wife or your the cops or whatever. Uh -huh. You make up stories. 
Oh, you will never guess what happened. And then you make up stories. And, you know, and one thing about me, I love stories. I love hearing people's stories. You know what? You know what? It's funny because it's it's funny that you mention how comics work their bits out. And I think that's what a comedy club is. And that's why I don't like going to comedy clubs very much. No. Because I like to see a finished product. Yeah. (laughs) It's hit and miss. You know what I mean? I like a theater. Yeah. You know, when when you've made it to a theater at least 1,000 or more people, then you've got a, a pretty polished product yeah. that's tight, yeah. right? You've been spoiled all your life. <laughs> so, so you're exception to the rule. No, but you know what I mean. Like, like some people just go to a comedy club and they, I, I, yeah, I have. It's, it's comics. But I have a high standard because, yeah, you turn me on to really high level, high level shit. So you yeah. can't, when you're into high level shit, you can't go listen to amateur it shit. De- it depends on what your interests are. You know, if you want to be a stand-up comedian, then you hang out in comedy clubs. Yeah, yeah, because well, well, you're learning. You want to learn how to do that. You hang out. You want to be comfortable. That's right. Up there doing that. That's you right. want to be respected and given time to do that. And the thing is, you love everything. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, like one time we played a bowling alley where the stage, the back of the stage was open, and you could see the, we were high up, uh, one story up, but you could see the lanes, and you could hear them bowling uh-huh. behind you, and and then the audience was Is in front of you. Is it a show? No, no, it was uh, Shelby and Tommy's show, okay. Chong show, and so we got on stage, at least I got on stage, and I had a ball, because hey, you got you got a bowling alley, and you got to play with the bowlers. Uh-huh. You can d- talk to the people. You do your bit. You know what I mean? A lot of people they write bits and they they get married into that bit. The trick is to work bits into your show that people in the audience can relate to. Right. You know that's why a lot of shows are just ad libs. You know, where are you from? You know, hey, you're from uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, and, you know, I, I was, I spent a day in Wisconsin one year. You know, I spent a year in uh, Wisconsin one uh-huh. day. You know, you know those kind of yeah, stock yeah. kind of jokes. You know, yeah. and that's what you do. But the thing is, there's a love. Doing comedy is like making love. Okay. Mm-hmm. In fact, they they call it. And did you get off? Yeah, I got off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got off. I got off early. Right. You know. I got off. as soon as I got on there. I got off. Right. You know. Or it took me a while, but I got off. I got him. I got him. It took me a while, uh-huh. but I finally got him. It's just like fucking. Right. You know. Yeah. Did you get off? No, not yet. <laughs> just a minute. Just a minute. Here, slap me on the ass. Slap me on the ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. Uh, it's the same feeling. Because once you get on oh, there, you get addicted to it. You get addicted you, to that. Oh, you get yeah. off. Then, oh, you feel good. That's why you see them throw down the mic. They, they used to. I don't know if they do Oh, it you mean the drop mic? They drop the mic. Because they just killed it so yeah. hard? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Wayne Brothers started that shit, I think. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like the Def Comedy Jam kind of thing? They, no, they used to do it at Jamie's Club, the Laugh Factory. Uh-huh. And Jamie would just die, this little Jewish guy. Because every time you drop a mic, that's $500 mic <laughs> Being mean to the equipment is not good at yeah. any time. But, you know, that's that old Jimi Hendrix killing the guitar thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, yeah, that that's what comedy, that's why people, you know, they're, you get addicted to it, you can't get away from it. Yeah. I got the urge, every once in a while I get the urge to, but we go out enough for me, you know, yeah. with the Cheech and Chong show. I, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I, I get I get off. <laughs> and it's fun too. I, I, I think it's the best it's the best venue for you, Dad, because yeah. it, you don't have the pressure of trying to sell a show by yourself yeah. or inventing something new. They all want to go see the show, but then you get your time yeah. by yourself on there yeah. to riff yeah. and to, to work riff. that muscle. And I know how much it, it tortures Cheech sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It tortures yeah, well, everybody, you know, well, because sometimes I get out there and I, I go on a tangent and... And where is it going to go? We don't know. And sometimes it goes nowhere. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's comedy. Fine. But I, I like it because I just see, that's why, you know, sometimes you get you get like, oh, I, we got we to gotta change the show, we got to change the show. And we don't because you know what? You change it slightly every time. Yeah. So I, and that's enough. Yeah. That's enough. You no, know? you're right. You're absolutely you know? right. Because you always, you add a little bit. You're, you're like, you're not, a, you're not a do the same thing every time guy. Because I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Only and when re- you can't remember, something new pops in that's there. That's right. <laughs> I, that's right. That's why uh, Sh- Shelby's show. 
Yeah. Got so good. Yeah. We we laid off all that time, and, and then, then she, yeah. she comes on, and it was in I think it was Edmonton or something. Yeah. She killed that audience. They just and she was so hot because it was like a accumulation of all the nights that she did, and it worked her way up to it. Yeah, you know when we first started, she was a, a beautiful work in progress because she would get so frustrated because mm-hmm. she could only remember her that little bit that she I like your do. style too because you put up a like a real rookie and then it just makes you seem that much more special <laughs> so, but you know you, and then you're like you're the good guy and it's my wife you know it'd be cool you know you <laughs> and now I'm gonna entertain you guys no but you the know? thing is you know it's like I taught her to drive the same way and although she's been getting in a few minor scrapes lately <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that, that her record, you know. I taught her to drive a stick shift. I taught her <laughs> in a parking lot, and there was it was crying time. Every time yeah. at the end of the, oh, don't yell at me. I said, yeah. well, you got to stop when I tell you to stop. You yeah. Know? Yeah, well, I, I learned, to, you know, we're going to switch topics a little bit, but I, you know, when you tr- teach dyslexic, highly dyslexic people something, you have to, you have to put yourself in their shoes and yeah. kind of like reword things backwards yeah. for them yeah. and then they go oh i get it you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> but the thing is what you got to get used to you know being a, a sibling being a son is that parents have no memory well, you you yeah. teach us how to turn on a tv set and if you're not around and someone has messed with that tv set I'm sorry, that TV Dad, set you, stays off until you, you come back. <laughs> I mean, you don't learn very many new things, but you've learned quite a few because, you know, we were around a bunch of old 70-year-olds, and you're the, you're the superstar when it comes to technology. Are you not? Obviously. You, yeah. Are, yeah. <laughs> you are. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was saying you, know you and Eli. And it's good that you don't, because you don't hang with very many 70-year-olds. You know? No, So I you don't. hang with me, and you hang with the other crew, and your boys, and we're all younger, so. No, I, you gotta I, keep I, up. I like my the pop. Pop hated old people. Yeah, one time they, our neighbors set him set him up with an older Chinese lady. <laughs> Pop was so pissed off. <laughs> he wasn't having that shit. Oh, huh? he was pissed off. It was like he he thinks he's one of the gang. You know, he's one of us. Yeah, the boys. Yeah, he he doesn't want no old lady. He never wanted an old lady. You know. You started doing. You got that manager, and then you were you were going to. Did you start going to Hollywood and working those clubs? Yeah, uh, yeah, I would. Work Laugh Factory. So I was in like junior high. And you're cruising. You're leaving the house at like ten o'clock at night and going there. And Sometimes, yeah, yeah. I guess you were. I don't know where you were. Yeah. No, I was here, like just junior high. Yeah, yeah. I was going cruising in all the clubs, and then then I started on the road. Then then I went on the road, and you know, I I got gigs like like crazy. You know, yeah. Being charming because at and that child. and then at that time there was a quite a solid network of comedy clubs. Oh yeah. Like yeah, right across a the little, road. Even more than now. So, oh, like, man. Like yeah. the 80s and 90s, early 90s were, were a booming era for comedy clubs. Oh, it was a golden era. It was, right? Oh, it was a golden era. Yeah. We, we were the rock stars. Yeah, because in the 2000s, they, they shut a lot of them down. Yeah. And then only the big name ones survived. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and like, then now they're starting to open up new clubs. Yeah. Yeah, like Gotham City, you know, in, in New York. Yeah, you know, it wasn't there. Caroline's was there. And, yeah, you know, I worked. I worked a few places, but you know, you know, we turned what mom. <laughs> thanks to your mom, uh, when when she joined the the gang, you uh-huh. know, before she joined me, I would go to a club in Sacramento. Right, and I would do the show, and then I'd sit and sign and sell their T-shirts. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you- the club T-shirts, <laughs> because I never had a, any of my own. And I did that for a while, and the club owners, oh, they loved me. Oh, know, I bet they I'd loved sell you. it all their they clubs. fucking loved you. And huh? then, then I was at the club in uh, Denver, that was it Third Street? I forget. You know, that phenomenal club. Same thing. I'd sell their T-shirts, uh-huh. and then the mom come on the road. And say, I just no, actually, before she came on the road, she says you're going to bring out your own T-shirts. Yeah. And so then I had Michael Malcolm drop some design. Oh, that's when they got that one, like the toilet paper. The one toilet and paper all those one, ones. the hemp. Yeah, and so then I would sell those. Yeah, and and, and it turned out the merch was the biggest attraction. People would phone the club and say, "Are they going to be selling their merch after the show?" 
And a lot of, there wasn't a lot, but some people came down. The show sold out, but they didn't care. They'd come down to buy the merch. Oh, oh, you mean they didn't, wouldn't even watch the show? Wouldn't even watch they would the just show. hang out. Wait they, for the- they would wait until it was time to sell the merch, and they'd yeah. come in and, and buy the merch. You're listening to the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. CannabisRadio.com keeps you in the know Monday through Friday on air and on demand with Cannabis Radio News. Presented with the definitive worldwide news source, the Associated Press. Stay informed with exclusive news on all things cannabis. Cannabis Radio News, live weeknights at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, during the Russ Belville Show. Or download the daily podcast exclusively on CannabisRadio.com, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. When breaking news happens in the cannabis industry, Cannabis Radio News delivers the details first. Yo, 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 this your boy TJ, Trinidad James. You listen to Dr. Bean on Cannabis Confidential. LA, what up? People were so excited to see you supporting our industry, and it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to. That was my first one ever going to, so that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think who look down, per se, on what we enjoy. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Tommy Chung Podcast is back, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back. Oh, boy. That felt good. Did you pee? I did. Was it good? Yeah, it was okay. Okay, we won't talk about that, though, You Although just, I could do a, I just, could do an hour on my. Plumbing. Are you just jealous about my ability to go and have a normal <laughs> piss? <laughs> you know what? I don't even go there. I I always look at my my advantage. I don't have to worry about what you guys have to go through now. And so I'm I got Dude, a lot of time. Man. Your peeing is like like improved a hundred percent now. It's kind of going back to the dribble. Is it? Yeah. You've been having on the avatar still. I know know what it is. Are you on the avatar? I, let me tell you. I, I know it's too much information for everybody. Are you on the avatar? Yeah. Okay. But I don't want to hear any gross shits. Don't no, even. Go it's there. not gross. It's not gross. I'm just just <laughs> going to tell no, you. No, no. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you really shouldn't. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, well, you can have fun with the colostomy bag. You just got to be creative. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear about that shit. I already I already have to deal with you all the time because. You can't even remember to bring your classy bag. When you do bring it, you bring the wrong size, and then we got to go and figure that out. You know? Okay, let's not let's not get embarrassing. Okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with having a classy bag because that a lot of people have it, and there's no stigma there, right, Dad? I was just thinking, you know, those fanny packs. Uh huh. I was just thinking of doing one with a with a hole in the in the back of it, so so it looks like I got a fanny pack on and not a colostomy bag. You band. could, you could, yeah. You could design that. Yeah. You know. I I, I think I am going to design that. But that you way. but you need a waist in order for the, the fanny pack to actually zip around. <laughs> oh, you! Oh, that was mean. That was mean. You mean I need hips? 
I got a waist. No, you got you got it. You got hips, but they're, they're smaller than my waist. No, there's the, that tire just kind of envelops that whole area. <laughs> now that's gross. Yeah, yeah, but I'll tell you, <clears throat> you know, if you look in the mirror, this is this is my advice to people. Mm. You know, getting old. You know, find the best lighting and the best angle to look at a mirror. <laughs> Because you can fix lighting and you can look at the mirror and it looks like you got hair, <laughs> looks like you got muscles, looks like you got abs. If you don't look at the bag, you're fine, you know? Yeah. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about, okay, I read some cool things cause, uh, about the Panama Papers. Okay. And there's two. two like now, I, the Panama Papers are the ones that. Uh, if they don't know, they don't know. They hacked into somebody, some lawyer's office and, and he found out yeah, all this yeah. stuff. We about, don't need a recap. We don't okay. need a recap. Okay. There's two theories. I heard another theory by some other article that I read, and the theory was is that the hackers were trying to. The reason why there's no Americans listed in those the hacked papers right now, or they haven't released Americans, is because they're trying to blackmail the Americans. Oh. And then I read another one that was more interesting. Oh, interesting. That it was this guy who was a whistleblower that blew the whistle on UBS. Because yeah. he, he worked at UBS in Switzerland. Yeah. And he blew the whistle on them. And he, he was awarded $104 million, but he served two years in prison. So, I, so <laughs> how, how much? He did two years of study. <laughs> I mean, he, he, they were like, yeah, you, you shouldn't whistleblow, but you, you're right, and here's $104 million. That's a little million. weird, right? No, about two years. I, I was in jail with a guy that figured out how to cheat the government out of, you know, the O.J. Simpson uh, money thing, you know, uh-huh. where, where he got to keep his pension. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> this guy that I was in jail with, he figured out a way for everybody to do that. Oh, yeah? You know? And, and the government says, oh, you're too dangerous. And so they told him... Literally told him, pick a charge, because you're going to go away for two years. Fucking crazy. So anyways, this guy, this guy says he thinks that the main, if you look at the main people that that are are having, you know, a lot of leaked info, Mm -hmm. a lot of bad press from this, are all people that the United States have, have rocky relationships right now with. So Russia, China, Argentina, Pakistan. This guy thinks it's the CIA. And, but I don't know if that's true because they, they just came out today that there are CIA accounts on there for doing you know, some dodgy stuff. Well, if you want to be paranoid, Some black ops. No, but if you want to be with the conspiracy thing, that's what an operative would do to keep themselves from being suspected. You know, a suspect. They would blow it on themselves, yeah. so that hey, no, we're with you, you guys. You know, we're, it's not us. You know, we're we're in the same boat as you are. Yeah, because it, there's no repercussions for but, the but, CIA. But if I was a hacker, I think the hacker, you know, blackmailing thing sounds better because if I were a hacker. I would much rather blackmail some Americans than some Russian or Chinese. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, oh. like I wouldn't blackmail Russians. I mean, that, I don't think so. That's some scary shit right there. I don't like, think so, especially Putin or Chinese. Like, you will be mm. fucking disappeared, and I, man, yeah. you'll be like kept alive yeah. and tortured for a long time. Ooh, ooh, and your families. Oh, oh. yeah. No, no. Sketchy it, stuff, man. Yeah, it is. It is. Especially when, you know, you're blowing whistles like that, you know, and it affects everybody's life. I like. I find it interesting what, what Trudeau or what Trudeau's government did is they put out a bounty, for $5 million bounty for any info <laughs> on some Canadian dough. So, you know, because Canada's revenues, like, it's in a recession, you know, they're, ha- they're having some problems, right? Well, they're, they're not getting that money, that oil money. That oil, yeah, that oil disappeared. And, and, and that and, oil money was driving that economy. And, and, and dope money's disappeared, too, you know. Well, it's getting legal, so I... I That's what I'm saying. Hey, you got to remember, the United States used to pay millions, do right now, pay millions to all these oh, kind, yeah, countries yeah, to, to keep it illegal. And so when, you, when it gets legal, that money dries up. And it's the bureaucrats that are looking for their paycheck. I like what Putin says. Putin's like, yeah, you know, that's bullshit. It's just made up shit from, from America, you know. And then I like what the Chinese did, too. They, they just blacked out everything. They just told their, their tech guys, okay, fucking erase anything with my name on it on the Internet in China. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
It'd be like living in Texas, you know, or somewhere. Well, yeah, because I mean, they, they don't they don't have that kind of still, information. It's slightly communist, or I don't know, I don't. What well, China? Do you call it communism there? Oh, no, it's a, it's a dictatorship. It's yeah. dictatorish. Totally. There, but there's a little bit of elections going on, so oh, yeah. it's like you know uh, how you can tell. It's like dictator light, I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah, modern dictatorism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a modern look at it, you know. And what they do, they don't name one guy. You know. Oh no, they're ma- they're naming one guy. They're naming a lot of guys. No, but I'm saying they, as a leader, <laughs> this is a chairman. But this well, no, is she, the guy. she 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 Ling Ping is the leader. I mean, he's he's a leader. Yeah, he's the main guy. Yeah, he's the dude. Just like the the little guy in Korea, North Korea. He's he's freaking people out so much that even China's like, man, we're gonna hit you some, with some sanctions. You know? well, I told you the the answer to that. I don't want to hear that one. That's really bad. No, it's it's terrible, man. I mean, you're like Trump. No, but like a colonel in the North Korean Secret Service has just defected. Yeah. So, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah save, his, save his ass, huh? Yeah. Yeah, why not? You know, you got no future it's there. It's sad because, cause, you know, the, the, the dude's like, he's like almost 300 and something pounds, right? Oh, is and he? he just came out and he says, listen, it's to his people, like, we're going to have some hard times, you know, get ready to be eating dirt and twigs. And meanwhile, he's he the said fattest that? fuck around, man. He said that? Yeah. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're clamping down, man. That means no food aid, no sh- nothing, dude. And well, you, know he, you know what he does? He sends his, his citizens out to work businesses in China and other countries to bring in income. So, <laughs> so, so they're working for him? They're, they're working for the country. Wow. Wow. How long is that going to last? Well, 13 of them just defected. So I guess there's these restaurants that are in China, like a chains of restaurants in China and, and a few other countries. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe Laos, Vietnam, maybe even Japan. But I don't know about Japan. I don't think Japan. Like a Korean chain, a Korean, chain of Korean restaurants owned by the North Korean government and staffed by, you know, North Korean. Yeah, because he's got no income coming in. Yeah. And so they're looking for anything. They got to they got to create money. Yeah, you know, because they can't sell their resources because they're sanctioned. They're sanctioned like crazy. Yeah, trippy, right? It is trippy, and that's that's what goes behind the scenes, you know, of of, of a world government. And you got to be abreast of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be interesting. Man. I'm heading to Coachella this weekend. What's in Coachella? What? You mean the the Coachella Rock Music Festival? Oh, is that still on? Yeah, you're oh. actually go- going. <laughs> oh, that's right, I am, aren't I? Don't you remember? <clears throat> oh, that's we got right. you all those tickets. You did, didn't yeah. you? And you're I got going. a little VIP area. But you wear that really <clears throat> good disguise. Well, I have to because I don't want to be request for pictures and tickets, pictures and you know and you know these beautiful women always want to kiss me and. It's embarrassing after a while. You know? <laughs> and then you get these girls want me to sign their titties. I say, no, I can't do that. Well, where do you want me to sign? Right here or right there? <laughs> or how about right there? Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll sign here. <laughs> terrible. Now, how do you spell your name again? I'm oh, trying to look name. for the, the fucking... Man, this is a big old lineup. I'm trying to... Don't they have like a poster, like Coachella poster or something like that? Is that the? Is that everybody that's going to be there? Oh, I can't wait to go. Do I get to stand outside in the mud and the rain? You know, oh boy. Oh, that was not. That was last year's I think. Let me see here. Coachella. Oh, that was last year's. Too. Yeah, that was last year was fun. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> what was yeah. your favorite? What was your favorite last year? Uh, that band, the love band that played rock. You know? Oh, I thought you were in. The, you were digging the, uh, the electronic. Yeah, the yeah, electronic. I was. I was into that. Man. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm over the electronic thing. I'm going back to the to the hip hop thing. To the yeah, know. I can dig it. Yeah, you, except I I, I dig hip hop, but I you know when they're playing, I'll be in the other county. Yeah, but you do like hip hop. I do. You I do, do request that all the time. I do. When I do. Walking. So okay, LCD Sound System. You don't know they're, they're like a nerdy college electronic mm-hmm. band. Very, very intellectual. So, so not you. Is uh, Tierney Sutton on the list? Oh God, don't even go there. Guns and Roses is playing Saturday. 
They're back together? Yeah, yeah. Axel? Yeah, the whole band. Has he got the same headband? And, and then the, Calvin yeah. Harris is on Sunday. And you know why he's extra famous now? Calvin Harris. Uh-huh. Uh, who is he? He's a DJ. Oh, okay, yeah. Because he's dating Taylor Swift. Who's Taylor Swift? <laughs> is he still, has he still got that rock band? That, uh... <laughs> who, Taylor Swift? Yeah. <laughs> oh, but here's some hip-hop. ASAP Rocky, you like him. Yeah. Ice Cube, hell yeah. Yeah. Let me see some. Oh, Major Lazer, they're good. Yeah. They're from like Jamaica. Jamaica, and he, man. And he, has, he has a thing where he gets on stage and he has a dancer come up and he, simulate, he simulates fucking her, right? Oh, yeah. Jamaican style. And I think it's a thing for like the, the reggae house music. Yeah. And then they bring on a ladder. Okay. Uh-huh. He climbs the 12 foot ladder uh-huh. and he jumps into her, into, into position fucking her. So she's yeah. So she's in the uh, laying on her back on the ground, like uh-huh. in in the catching position, uh-huh. and he climbs the ladder as he's doing his song and jumps and dives on her. <laughs> yeah. You should get him to wear a Trump T-shirt when he does that. <laughs> Who knows? They might. They might be. Oh my god! I don't see any other big. Did I, did I ever tell you about that the Jamaican floor show that we used to watch when we were in Jamaica? Which one? There's uh with the Spider-Man that guy? No, no, no. <laughs> there was uh, we were staying at this hotel and in the evening, you know, you look out and there's uh this little encampment across the way. Uh-huh. And this Jamaican would come out and wash himself. He'd be butt naked. Uh-huh. With about a 3-foot dick. <laughs> and he'd wash himself very slowly with a hose. Uh-huh. And and all the ladies in the hotel would come out with their little tea and sit there. Oh, yeah. oh really? Is this and for real? Watch, this is for real. And watch the show. Really? Watch this guy wash his butt. Yeah, watch his... No shit. His ding-dong, yeah. yeah. That's a real thing. That was real, yeah. Did they publicize it or was it just... No, it was just ad lib. Happenstance, you know? huh? It was just one of those, you know... He was an exhibitionist and, uh, you know... <laughs> That was funny. I loved. I had the best time. Ocho Rios. Uh-huh. We rented a house, and every time I drive down to the beach, I'd pick up hitchhikers. Uh-huh. But they're not just hitchhiking. They get in the. Hey, thanks for the ride, man. Hey, do me a favor, man. Will you drive over here and pick up my cousin? <laughs> and we do. And then, okay, we'll be right out. Oh, come on in. Come on in. And okay, come on. We're, we're going to be right out. Oh, one more stop, man. One more stop. You don't mind, do you? Oh, thank you very much, man. Okay, what time are you going back to home? <laughs> <laughs> I was a bus. I was like a bus. I, I, but I loved it. I, I, you know, you, yeah. you get the best bits. I, I, you know, t- speaking of like like huge, big monster dicks mm-hmm. what, what's someone told me a story and they they overheard a conversation of like two like big nfl linemen you know mm-hmm. brother men you know mm-hmm. and the guy goes man don't you hate when you're taking a shit and your dick and your balls are just <laughs> laying in the water <laughs> and the white dude was thinking that's never happened to me man <laughs> and then if you think about it you gotta you got i guess they gotta hold their balls and their dick kind of out of the out of the the, yeah. the toilet bowl, yeah. right? You ever hear that joke? Prior and I think it was Prior and Chris Rock or something. Richard Pryor was talking about. They're sitting on a train trestle over across a creek. Uh-huh. Dick's hanging out, uh-huh. and the guy goes, "That that water's cold, ain't it?" <laughs> <laughs> but listen to this. Pryor goes, "Yeah, and deep too." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was a classic dick story. Cla- classic, classic dick, dick joke. joke. Yeah, classic. <laughs> well, I love it, man. Yeah, who else is in Coachella now that that we got on the kick of Coachella? Well, there's a lot of parties, but you know, I'm I'm more mature now, and <laughs> I'm gonna take it easy. I'm not gonna more mature for a Coachella. That means they wipe the puke <laughs> off the side of their mouth before no, they, well, after they get up uh, face first into the dirt. You know. I wasn't never. I was never one of those guys. But I was one of those, you know. I, I would push the limits. But now I'm realizing, like, you know, that's it's more of a life is a marathon, right? It's not a sprint. That's right. So that's you gotta right. kind of. So this time I'm, I'm really taking it easy. I'm gonna chill, try to see more of the show. <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. And try not to get involved. Uh, no, just just don't take everything that's handed to me. 
Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? there's a good one. Yeah, yeah. You know, carry your own medicine. Yeah, but I'm not going to carry too much of my own either. You well, know? just because that could be a problem. Too. Yeah, yeah. Just don't, just don't be show off. You know, exactly. Uh, how much you did? I'll do twice. Yeah, I don't want to be the guy. Oh my god, look at your fucking eyes, dude. Your yeah, fucking no. eyes are tripping out, oh, man. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be that no, guy. No, don't anymore. do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Because. It's just not a good look after a while. So do people record with their phones? At the yeah, yeah. You know, the audience is, is majority kind of got their shit out. If it's an important band. Yeah. If, they're, if it's a really good show, then they're just into it. They're dancing yeah. and yeah. they're just like, they're, they're in the moment, yeah. you know. But if it's like a momentous event, yeah. then they got to just see it through their phone screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. It's like uh, watching... The Trump rally, you know, everybody, he gets on stage and everybody's got their phones out. Yeah. Holding them up. Yeah. You know? Because, Dad, because everyone has to, needs content for their fucking, their social media. And that's con- content. Yeah. I you guess know? it is. Yeah. Well, like, you know, those special days are like, make you look pretty exciting on your Facebook. I guess, yeah. You know? I guess. You're there and they're not. Yeah, I guess. That's how it is. All right, and I'm I'm gonna wrap this up and go to the gym right now, and you're gonna watch the dogs. Okay, is that okay? I'm watching the dogs. dogs? Walking the dogs. You're gonna take him on a walk. Yeah, yeah. Will you really? Yeah, I will. Okay, I need to go on a walk too. Stay awake. All right, cool. Okay, see you next time. Okay, bye, y'all. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.